welcome to episode 122 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording July the 4th, 2021. My name is Eric, host of the show, based in Southern Ontario. As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance in emergency services during major events, and I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I live on Vancouver Island. I'm a student of preparedness, target shooter, and my farm's designated mediocre handyman. I'm Alan, safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd. I'm back. My name is Andrew, and I'm not the host of your show. I am a recovering libertarian and a firearms instructor at Ragnarok Tactical. I'm Scott, the frazzled new dad, paramedic splitting my time between southern and northern Ontario. I like to learn things, and I don't accept that things will always carry on the way they have, simply because I want them to. And my name is Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, soon soon to be ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. Still haven't written your test, huh? Soon. He's got like nine more months based on our based on our standards here. Fair enough. We'll give him that, I guess. And if you want to help to support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast T-shirt. Eric, our nice model there, uh-huh. and the uh, tactical Velcro patch. They're available at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help to keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And statistics show that wearing a Prepper Podcast t-shirt makes you immediately 12% more prepared for anything. Yeah, I mean, science, true. right? Yeah. So, of course, I've decided to be the contrary and wear uh, Andrew's t-shirt today. So there you go. Modeling the other one. In fact, I'm wearing Ian's t-shirt. Oh, oh, oh. I'm not even going to ask why. (laughs) Don't explain that one. Yeah, don't want to know why. Yeah. Okay, well, commentary (laughs) aside, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Who's on Facebook anymore? Or who hasn't been kicked off? Yeah. (laughs) Also, we want your feedback, good or bad. If there's just a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some planning content for you in this episode. I'm going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Next, we'll let you know what we've done for our preparedness this since the last episode. And then uh, we're going to get into the main topic, our ideal doomstead. So let's get into the news. All right, uh, no surprise to anybody that's been watching the media, it was the hottest temperature ever recorded in Canada at over 47 degrees in Lytton, B.C. this week. And uh, I think I was complaining about the heat last week, but... They didn't have as much to complain about as those people in Lytton, as we'll find out about later, I think, if Alan talks about that. Uh, so, yeah, hot. Very hot. Um, and then, of course, I like to pick on Venezuela, so I'm going to do it again. Uh, I got an article here from Zero Hedge that, once again, for the second time, or is a third time, third time, actually, uh, they've devalued the currency, and Venezuela decided to just chop six zeros off their Bolivar notes, and that'll make everything better. So, you should take three million Bolivars to buy a U.S. dollar, now it's just three so they fixed the economy oh good that's how it works <laughs> <laughs> it's that easy why haven't yeah. why is everybody doing this yeah well mexico did it back in the day argentina tried it a couple times and now venezuela's like well geez it worked for those countries we should we should do it too yeah it's the third time they've done it and usually the most currencies revalue three times like zimbabwe style before they just switch back to some other like stable currency because Clearly, it's not working and not fooling anybody either. But anyway, is is this the is this kind of the same thing where it's like real communism has never been tried, so real changing the currency has never actually been tried, and therefore, therefore this time it's going to be different. 
Yeah, it's kind of like when they say they're not calling it money printing. It's just like quantitative easing. Mm. You know, it's not it's not right. money printing. But, no, no, it can't be money printing. Yeah, no, that doesn't help things. That's all I had on a uh, um, on a completely different topic. Um, the poor town of Lytton, BC, which recorded the highest temperature in recorded history in Canada, uh, has now been mostly demolished by. Um, wildfires and uh our our thoughts and prayers our hearts go out to the uh to those who have been displaced uh it's a some of the pictures from that are just absolutely atrocious where you've got you know houses on one side of the street that are completely burned out and green trees on the other side because the wind shifted in in the wrong direction at the wrong time so um wildfires are no joke um there are actually a lot of wildfires happening in canada right now and um please 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 be aware of what's going on around you and uh, don't contribute to the problem and do what you can to help solve this problem. Yeah, actually, and I won't even make a carbon monoxide joke at this point because it's not appropriate. However, um, actually, one of my neighbors was telling me a story. I guess he was watching the news there about Lytton and uh, you never know what's going to work and what isn't with these wildfires. So I guess one guy didn't have enough notice to get out of town. He had no idea what was going on. Uh, I guess the smoke wasn't a big enough giveaway. So he... <laughs> He basically got stuck behind the fire line. He dug a ditch for his parents who were elderly, put them in the ditch and kind of tried to protect them a little bit. Uh, went out to the rail line thinking that was the only clear way to go. He recorded his last will and testament on his phone because he figured he was going to get consumed by this big wall of fire all around him. He lived, tree fell over, killed his parents in the ditch. Oh. Oh. It's Which like, is, again, um, it's testament to how, oh. um, how crazy these things get. Um, just... Uh, well, last week, uh, June 30th, was the anniversary of the um, uh, the hotshot crew in uh, Granite Ridge Fire in uh, California, and there were 19 firefighters killed because the wind shifted and they didn't have enough time to get out. Um, it like it shifted 180 degrees, and in three hours they were they were stuck, caught, and consumed. Um, wildfire, wildfire suck. Like Ian said, I'm not going to make a carbon monoxide joke on this one. It's um, there's there's nothing there's nothing good about them. Make sure that your fire breaks are in place. Make sure you pay attention to the weather. Listen to your uh, listen to the warnings. Listen to the forecast because it's uh, it'll it'll change it'll change on a dime and uh, and it'll, it'll destroy everything that you care about. Yeah, tough tough times yeah. for sure. Sure is. Well, I've got an article here from CTV News in regards to uh, the UFO reports being released. If anybody cares, which they don't. So, just yeah, another testament kind of, to 2021 being yeah. a weird year that you think somebody would at least make a comment about it, but nothing. Yeah, no, no, it's it's the the whole shiny object over here, UFOs. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. I think I think at this point it's just safe to assume that there are aliens among us or extraterrestrials among us, and you know they're probably better at, at life than we are at this point. So, <laughs> probably. And uh, just an interesting footnote, um, if anybody's been following, Bill C-10 uh, did not pass the Senate before they rose for the summer. So unless Facebook kicks us off, the CRTC can't touch us right now, um, at least until the fall, uh, if there's no election. Of course, if there's an election, the bill totally dies, and along with all kinds of other ones. And if Trudeau gets his wish of a majority or another government, they would have to bring it back and start all over again. So, uh, so we got another 10 podcast episodes at least before we have to worry about it again. 
Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. Or yeah. depending on how this evening goes. <laughs> At least C- before C10 it. becomes a problem. It might not have anything else. It might not have a platform anyways. But. Yeah, so, so C10 is not going to be an issue, but we'll, we'll see how the night goes as to whether or not YouTube decides to punt us. And another one that's uh, very interesting, it hasn't caught a lot of traction yet because it's just uh, been developing over the last 24 to 36 hours, is there's another uh, large ransomware attack that's occurred uh, at a tech company called Kaseya, K-A-S-E-Y-A. And uh, I'm not much of a techie person, as uh, Eric well knows, but basically uh, they are a... How do you explain? I guess they're um, they're an, they said they're an information technology company, um, and they use their software. Their software is used by large IT companies that offer contract services to hundreds of smaller businesses, and then those smaller businesses shoot it out to others. So they're saying this hack could easily spread to thousands of victims, um, companies large and small. Uh, this company, Kaseya, told all of its 40,000 customers to immediately disconnect from their software. Uh, but apparently 20 major IT companies uh, didn't get off in time and they've been hit. Uh, right now, they're saying there's more than 1,000 uh, companies, mostly small businesses at this point, who've been affected. But one big one was a large, uh, the biggest major grocery chain in Sweden had to literally shut down hundreds of its stores yesterday because the hack locked up their cash registers and they were unusable. So um, they're saying that they think this uh, hack attack are the same people that targeted uh, the meat processor JBS this spring. And yeah, it just, uh, like I say, it's it's still developing, but apparently they said they're, they're already hearing words that the cyber criminals are wanting 50,000 from every small business and 5 million from every large business. And considering that they got 11 million for the JBS uh, hack, they're, they're going to be looking for a bigger paycheck, I'm thinking. So it's still developing. We'll see what, what comes out of it. But One of the things that I found really interesting about this article is a lot of the stuff they do is supply chain management. So I feel like we've talked about supply chain in all kinds of uh, different contexts in the the past month or two, um, but it feels like there's yet another attack on our assumed stable supply chain. I think the entire last it year. It also kind been... of makes me want. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, 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 I part part of me was also wondering, and maybe I have to loosen my tinfoil hat. But if the next war is going to be fought on computers, like how are we even going to know once it started? Like, are are these just opening salvos in, you know, a, a bigger scheme? I, I think it already has. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I think we're already there economically and electronically and everything else. Because for the last year and a half, it's been meat plant after pipeline, after supply chain of various sorts. Yeah. Uh, they're, you know, who knows? It just seems very, very coordinated, very specific. It's not like they're targeting, like, Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> or anything else. Like, they're not trying to like, get money from just a regular website of some sort. They want us like, to be slightly inconvenienced, not to riot uh, instantly. Yeah, exactly. If anything to take down, please don't take down Pornhub. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I mean, the fact is they're not attacking something that's like kind of pseudo irrelevant. They're actually like attacking something that is yeah. going to apply, you know, affect the whole nation on a, on a very basic level, not just on a 
Re- real world consequences. Yeah. yeah, it's not just like they're not trying to just get money. They're trying to like really f up the system. So it's it's definitely coordinated that yeah. way. And they're slowly and slowly getting better and better and, and more and more results as they go. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And I didn't put a link in the in the show notes about it, but there is a pipeline, an oil pipeline that burst under the Gulf of Mexico, and somehow the ocean is now on fire. Um, yeah. I saw that's pretty awesome, wasn't it? One of the most entertaining things that I that I saw come out of that is a bunch of fire boats spraying water on the water at the water that's on fire. And yeah, it's a little different. You know, <laughs> well, it's like a giant scale model of that eternal flame in Ottawa, right? It's just like this. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. so the so the water itself is on fire and they're trying to spray water on it and I, I think that's just possibly the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean maybe not that ridiculous. ridiculous, but pretty close. <laughs> oh jeez. It is the oh, year. It is, it is. Nothing nothing's weirder for uh, twenty twenty one. I'm sure there's more to come like you <laughs> challenge accepted. Oh wait. Those already happened. Well, <laughs> uh, I think we're probably gonna see more of the same. The Cassia attack is on uh, telemetry software. The solar runes attack was telemetry software. JBS was a little bit different because that was a, like a, a targeted corporate IT attack. Um, the 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 telemetry software like solar winds and Cassia, that's all your remote system monitoring stuff. So that's all services that are being provided from one company to other companies to run their infrastructure. A lot of this is all the cloud computing stuff, right? But it's also distributed. uh, So if you're a small vendor and you're buying services from a bigger vendor. So if they get to the point where they're attacking places like Amazon Web Services, it runs like 80% of the internet. That's going to be where we start, I think, seeing major problems because there aren't a lot more of these large telemetry softwares to go after. There is only a half a dozen really big ones. Maybe they're just warming up for the big show. Well, I think that's I think that's what it is, and I think the reason you're seeing the telemetry software is because that's your your access into all of these otherwise hard systems. You can't log into the power company and turn the power off. Like it doesn't it doesn't work like that. You can't log into JBS and like turn the machinery off. That's not how the the lower level control systems work. I mean, not to say that you couldn't. It just like it's really really technically complicated to physically turn things off remotely. Mm-hmm. But it's really easy to log into your data center and lock all your employees out so nobody can use their till at their cash register, which is just as right. effective. You know? Well, and that's that's why I think that's being targeted. So if you're seeing pipelines shut down and things, it's it's really it's not like somebody is like outside at the at the gas line in your house with a big wrench and they're turning the knob ninety degrees, right? That's not it doesn't it doesn't quite work like that in the industrial computers. Well, it's going to get interesting, that's for sure. Yep. That's not going away. Shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? I, I want to do lots of preps hearing you guys talk. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my week's been a little more disaster prevention. Uh, you know, it's, I can't necessarily prevent cyber hacks, but I can baby proof the house, uh, attach big things to walls to prevent uh, cute things becoming flat things. Um, Listen, the thing the things that made us resilient as a people were you know pulling your your grandparents you know 37 inch 400 pound television off the tv tray from upon which it was standing and having to get yourself out from under it and clean it up before anybody found out and things like baby proofing are why we as a generation are weaker 
I find actually it's, it's most, interesting mostly. how fast they can test the systems to make sure to see where your shortcomings are as far as baby proofing. Like they've got a fork and the nearest open electrical socket. I swear to God, they they they, they home in on it or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, yep. the, the, the art of war. Your enemy knows where your weaknesses are. Pretty much. <laughs> so that was most of what I did this week. And I started uh, work on my ammo slash Faraday boxes, um, one that I had already dug out of my uh, parents' back shed. I've almost got the uh, the paint off it and everything to try and um, just debating whether to attempt my own gasket or just bite the bullet and buy one. I found some gaskets online and they're not cheap, but well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what I decide. All right, for myself, uh, rotated fuel storage around. Uh, the summer play toys are a little thirsty, so figured I'd uh, do the rotation thing and get some fresh fuel in the cans in the garage. Um, started planning out my second ammo can. So I'm, I'm playing around with the idea of making it a, a Faraday cage as well, but uh, a portable ham station, so with the battery and, and everything already ready to run in it. Uh, don't know how that's going to work out space-wise, but uh, the idea is there anyways. We'll see how it goes. Uh, joined a local volunteer off-road recovery group. So I figured I'd learn some new skills and volunteer some time to help pull some people out of the bush when they get stuck. Hopefully not get stuck myself. We'll see how that goes. Uh, and of course, found some time to play radio, made a few contacts, uh, like localish contacts in the States. So nothing, nothing overseas contact-wise, but spent a couple hours just goofing around on HF the other night. I actually managed to hit... Um um, hit a contact. I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me uh, from Maine, from where I am. So that oh. was pretty interesting. That was on my vehicle. That was on my vehicle VHF. Um, so I really? That was pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, so yeah, I got uh, got some of my my handheld radios programmed so that they're all all my radios are are working off the same group of channels. So that theoretically, anytime we are using the radios, they'll all be in sync, which would be great. Um, fair bit of work. Lots of training happening, lots of work happening in my garage. I'll have some walls up um, in the next uh, two weeks, finally. And I uh, had some family come in from out of town. Haven't seen them in quite some time, so we've been uh, we've been taking it kind of easy this weekend. Uh, mostly getting ready for Russell, the Finnish Reserve Sport Association International four-day distance marching event, and that's going to be the end of July. So if, if people want to sign up and they haven't yet, up to four days... 10, 25, or 40 kilometers each of those days, if you want to. So if you wanted to do 40 kilometers a day for each of the four, you could do 160 kilometers if that's something that suits you. It is not something that suits me, so I won't. But getting all my stuff together for that, I uh, changed out the weights for my backpack even. I'm going to get something a little bit more comfortable and use a sandbag instead of barbell weights that I have been using. Sandbags are worth that. Yeah, not not terribly comfortable. So sandbags, big improvement. Um, also, loading a lot of ammo is that's what I do. Shoot stuff. So this weekend we had uh, an Ontario Rifle Association Precision Rifle match, and uh, my my shooting partner Dave from the other CPP podcast, uh, in addition to being the match director, is also my partner at the match. And I think we broke both broke two hundred out of a possible two hundred and fifty points. I shot a two hundred three, and I think he was right around the. 
same. So we're in contention since a, a better team decided it was too hot this weekend to come shooting. They're not there to take first place. So we are in the running right now. And as soon as the scores come out, we'll find out if we got some medals. Best two nice. words in the English language, D and fault. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to show up to be a winner. That's not true. It was, it was a really, it was a hard match. It was a good time. We shoot back to uh, 600 meters. Wow. Whoa, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when you hit the 600 meter mark, you start to worry about Coriolis effect and all that other stuff comes into play? Uh, more spin drift and not much. Uh, tenth, two tenths of a mil spin drift at 600. Um, Coriolis comes into it, but it's not... Um, it's not worth worrying about it at the at the six hundred. When you get back to a thousand, you got to add a couple clicks. Uh, now, Dave and I both shoot three hundred eight. It'd be different for other people in other calibers because it's more pronounced depending on how fast your bullet's traveling and some other environmental factors. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for for us, um, spin drift add add a tenth, call it good. Cool. Um, so yeah, as for myself, I finally finished chopping up that big pile of branches I had from those giant firs that came down over last winter, so that was a thorn in my backside for a long time. Um, so that's the last of the uh, the kindling for next fire season, and the last of the four-inch logs, so that's good that you can sit for a year now, for all I care. Uh, finished the pump house down below, which basically was a little bit of house maintenance in the fact that it was just a paint job on the outside, but I also changed uh, the lighting to LEDs, and everything else to make it a little more easy to run on a backup generator. So, just uh, as we'll discuss later about LEDs and stuff. Uh, other than that, rotated some food stocks, and um, under the guise of like you know what do you call it, prepping or like stocking what you actually eat versus you know random stuff like you know freeze dried, we actually decided to switch over to evaporated milk versus the um, coffee cream. And surprisingly, I like it better. And you know, it's shelf stable. It's canned. It's cheap. It's actually cheaper than regular cream, and um, it just tastes like European milk coffee down so anyway that was good um did my first full length almost resil march today so like under uh, andrew's uh, finnish reserve sports association mark practice march there i did 9.2 kilometers i think or something today of pl- planning for my tens with weight on my back so i did uh, the whole weighted march and uh yeah i think i broke one of my dogs but oh she's yeah she's kind of like not limping per se but just kind of like Looks like roadkill right now. Anyway, um, other than that, that's pretty much it. Just a couple more CGN deals, of course. Uh, one of them, which oh, uh, yeah, no, seriously, I'll talk about that one later. But I sold one guy a couple thousand uh, brass. So that was kind of cool, and that was pretty much it for me. I was shocked you did a CGN deal. That never yeah, happens. seriously, no, blown away. Yep. All right, so moving to the main topic then. <clears throat> So apparently one of our listeners came into uh, some money. We're not sure if it's uh, the lottery or they just had a whole bunch of Bitcoin that they uh, dusted off. Um, But we got kind of a cool uh, email, a little bit gray man, but that's okay. Uh, Dear Canadian Prepper Podcast, longtime listener, first time writing in other than a five-star review. I recently had the good fortune to come into some money uh, and have a couple million bucks to spend on the ideal doomstead. Uh, I haven't decided if it should be a self-sufficient bug-in place or the ideal bug-out spot. Can you help me figure out the best geographic locations, locations relative to town, uh, the ideal property, its features, uh, the best buildings, what resources to install, build, uh, or collect? What should I do for power, for water, for food, for ham antennas, for alpacas, and for carbon monoxide detectors? 
seems oddly specific. Uh, thanks for your help. Clearly a uh, listener. Uh, I'm not Alan at thegrayman.com. So uh, there you go. So we uh, we have a hopefully very generous listener. Uh, this was not from me, just for the record. <laughs> uh, very gray man of you. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, Playing up the gray man role. So, uh, you know, let's let's see if we can help this lucky listener out and figure out some some thoughts uh, in terms of geographic location. I think right next to my house would be a great place to build your ideal doomstead uh, and be part of my mag. <laughs> Listen, go. the easiest thing to do, just give all the money to us. We'll take care of everything and let you know when it's all done. Yeah. They just wait to hear from us. Could yeah, be yours. Just wait to hear from us. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I I think it should be um, far enough from town, making it uh, a little harder for the uh, for them to walk to, but close enough that you know it's not an hour, hour and a half each time you need to go into town to get something. Um, if it's uh, a bug out only place, uh, you need to keep it close enough to your home that you can get there within one tank of gas and at least have a little bit left over for an ATV or a generator or something like that. Um, I think if it's going to get to the point where you're bugging out, chances are you're not going to be able to get any fuel. So if your place you want to go is further than you can drive, then I would think it's useless. That's my opinion. That's fair. I guess we should start off with saying, like, what can you get for a million dollars nowadays? CFP North Bay is retiring the hole, right? We can you could probably give them make them a pretty decent offer and say we'll take it as is. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I mean, we're gonna I don't like know if you're buying the whole base. Yeah, kind of <laughs> picky about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, like I think property land wise or land value or something, it's it's gotten stupid in certain parts of the country. So I mean, yeah, a million dollars might yeah might not get you in Toronto what you would get in like North Bay or well not North Bay is a bad example. Like how about like Hearst? Or something like that. Like, there's going to be differences in prices, right? So it depends on where you are and you know what you, you can expect. You can buy get. an island on Lake Superior, um, just over the time zone line for under 40k. Just throwing that out there. There you go. There you go. But not exactly easy to get to either, right? So you're stuck with the cheap and far away or away from populated base or population bases, and you know what? You might not be able to get a job there, or where you might happen to work or live normally might be a little more expensive. So yeah, but let's assume property costs aside, let's talk about features, I guess, more than anything else, right? Um, there's always been that that play of, between two worlds of, do you want to be have the, you know, the, the doomsday in the middle of nowhere, all by yourself, you know, lone wolf approach where, you know, you don't have a neighbor for 50 miles in any direction, or do you want to have like 16 neighbors within earshot so that you can, they can come to your aid really fast? I mean, there's got to be a happy medium, right? How much do you like these neighbors? I think this yeah, is well, the determining factor. <laughs> yeah. Hence, I'm with neither of those options. So uh, my idea, which is currently what I'm kind of practicing, is the rural subdivision idea. So it's not really, you don't have a doomsday on 5,000 acres, which I would like, yes, but I don't have. Uh, but everybody's got a large lot. So five acre plus lots, but everybody is still able to keep an eye on like who's coming and going out of either the front of your property maybe not your whole property and they can at least everybody knows everybody on a casual friendly basis. So at least you can recognize who's belongs there and who doesn't. Um, and everybody's got a little bit of land they can grow stuff on, but maybe not 160 acres of, of wheat growing crops or something. So like 
I think my ideal doomsday is kind of like the idea of a kind of a out of town, far enough from town to make a difference, and but still have at least some sort of a built-in meg with the neighborhood. So that was kind of my my take on yeah. that. Um, especially like in your absence, you can't sooner or later you gotta leave the doomsday to go shopping. Maybe you have to fall asleep or whatever, and if things got sideways, you might need to have somebody have a neighborhood watch going for you. Um, by same token, though, like uh, one of our our listeners there. Um, I think he calls himself New Zealand Claybuster on this one. And uh, he does rounds a trap off his back porch and his neighbors are cool with it because, you know, that's just the neighborhood, right? So that would be the ideal doomsday if you could actually like have a, you know, backyard shooting range and nobody's going to get upset about it versus in Toronto. If you had a backyard shooting range or did trap off your back porch, you'd, you'd probably get a response out of that one. Just so I would assume. I'd pay to be in the room when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So yeah, I guess that uh, under location, I guess rural subdivision is my short answer. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Uh, so my idea here, I, I'm assuming that um, the listener here already has a, a home of some sort. Uh, so I'd split some resources up. I'd be putting a bunker in the backyard of the current home. It's already a spot familiar to you. You already know the area. Uh, I assume anyways that uh, you would know some of the neighbors if you choose to know them. Um, so the bunker in the backyard doesn't have to be anything fancy. Uh, and then looking at the, the northern bug out location away from everybody. So you've got something if uh, shit hits the fan right away and you can't get away. But uh, if you can, then you got the northern bug out location. Fair enough. I'd, I'd really like to have uh, my doomstead next to Ian's doomstead. That seems terribly convenient for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sharing the t-shirts a lot more convenient. Saves right. on postage. Yeah. And, and you and your companion alpaca is always at hand that way. That's yeah, true. it's true. You you do need your emotional support alpaca. That's right. Underground tunnels, the whole works. Yeah, and he would totally support my, a shooting range. My my conditions for being near Ian is that Ian is in rural southern Alberta because I'm going to get the hell out of southern Ontario. Yep. I like the climate. I can't stand anything else here. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, at least Southern Alberta has going for it. It's got, like, as far as solar potential, it's got the highest in Canada, pretty much. Like, you hit that southeastern corner of Alberta, and 300-plus days of sun a year, that's not bad. I mean, so it might be minus 40, but you're still going to get enough solar panel to uh, solar energy incoming to heat your house. and Which wind. is a definite advantage, and that's one of the features I'm looking at. Is not really the solar exposure, per se, but the uh, the, cl- the climate zone. Your yeah. USDA ag zone, because I want to be in four or better. And in Southern Ontario, it's five or six. But in Southern Alberta, it's a four. I'll take a four. Yeah, I mean. fours if they're available. You can literally pretty much grow almost anything to keep yourself alive in zone four or better, right? So. Well, that's that was kind of my thought, because like, you start to get into zone three and your growing season gets pretty short and some of your crops get pretty picky at that point. But zone zone four, you can get away with a lot and... Really, aside from growing stuff, Southern Ontario has not got a lot going for it. So land here costs too much. I'm going to go somewhere where I can bicycle to a town in a day if I needed to because I'm out of vehicles or I could walk there in a couple of days if I really had to. But I'm, uh, I'm going to be good and well away from everybody. At least you, a, at least a thousand they, meters. If you were in Southern Ontario or Southern Alberta and didn't have a horse, I think we'd all be disappointed. I mean, let's I be honest, as soon as I move to Alberta, I'm getting the hat. Whether I get the horse or not, I'm getting the hat. <laughs> yep. And the belt buckle, I hope, too, right? Well, yeah. How else am I going to have dinner? That's right. 
<laughs> I, put a, I put a lot of thought into this and seeing all the other notes from the other uh, from the other panelists, and I decided that instead of dealing with any of that, I'm just going to buy a helicopter, and then I'm just going to jump between all of the other panelists' houses. You know, the helicopters come in handy for lots of purposes too. They sure That's do. True. Please tell so me. I'm spend some money on the some money on the helicopter. I'm going to spend the rest of it on fuel and food, and I'm just going to fly. And, and I'm just going to fly to where I need to be. Maybe helicopter lessons. Figure that go. Yeah. <laughs> what, what could go wrong? Then we have to build a fake Bay of Santiago somewhere, and oh, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have some different thoughts on where this uh, this ideal property would be in terms of looking around. Pull out your topo maps. What are some of the property features you'd like? I saw a really cool doomsday preppers episode or something like that they had an old natural gas well on it so it wasn't enough pressure to be commercially viable but more than enough to run that little homestead forever what are some of the property features that would be ideal if you had a bunch of bitcoin to throw at that problem a big open flat space for me to land my helicopter (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't need to be that big no i mean literally 60 by 60 i think you're pretty much good this is why you need the lessons. Actually, uh, no, but because I'm not taking lessons, I need it to be much, much bigger. <laughs> I'd go with softer over bigger. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard that in my life. Oh, man. <laughs> Graphic contribute. At least for me, if I'm looking at that topographical map, I'm picking a, uh, a bush lot. Uh, be able to build your your house or your doomstead kind of away from sight lines of a road. Um, I also like the, uh, the bush idea, easy uh, access for all of the wood you need to heat your house. Uh, would be really nice to uh, have a creek or stream either on or very near the property for numerous reasons. Um, some another panelist will get into that. Um, and it needs to be at least a little bit high and dry, so you're not going to be getting any flooding issues. Yeah, I guess you don't want to live in a town like High River, where they're prone to flooding, or like the the, the 100-year floodplain in Edmonton, where they build subdivisions, and they're going to be shocked when there's flooding there every 100 years or so. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm blown away where some people choose to build, but anyway, what can you do with that? Um, I had the same idea as Jeff, so... Yeah, you want to have a fair amount of trees on the lot. Like one thing I learned here, I, I bought this place and it was completely treated to the point where you parked in the driveway, you couldn't see the house. Um, that was a problem. So from especially from a fire prevention perspective. So I've spent the last eight years, I've probably spent seven and a half of them cleaning up trees. And that's a lot of work. So in hindsight, I would love to get a lot that has almost the center part cleared, a nice bush perimeter, like on your property that's got like, you know, trees that you're legally allowed to cut down and stuff. So a bush perimeter, insert joke here. Well-trimmed bush is very important and, you know, you got to oh, maintain boy. that thing, keep that, that thing knocked down, right? Um, so yeah, the, the bush perimeter will have, uh, allow you some privacy. Uh, fuel, of course, for the the wood stove, and uh, hopefully not too close to the house, not burn down your house. But something that comes into play as well is like when you're out actually trying to like harvest wildlife during the apocalypse. Wildlife tends to hang out on boundary areas, so yeah. you know at the edge of the forest near a creek type of thing. Like there's always going to be stuff that hangs out on the transition areas between land mass types or at least uh, terrain types. 
So that is something that you'll usually see deer hanging out on. So that's important to have on the property too. You might as well attract some wildlife. And don't listen to our episode about hunting. No, because no. clearly we didn't know what we were talking about. No. Um, <laughs> the nice thing too is the nice little features to have crown land either next to your property or close to it because that'll never get generally not never get knocked down. Um, so there is a, like a, a larger supply of, of wood fuel there that um, should be there in the apocalypse because it, it, you know unless it's like every sixty years or some so they roll through and cut it down but then nine times out of ten it's going to be there. Uh, water features so. This doesn't have to be restricted to just the mountains or, you know, posh lots in southern Ontario. But a water feature in hindsight is a must. And um, that's one thing I learned here. Like, even next door, they got an artesian well here. Uh, so, literally next door, power goes out. There's still water bubbling up out of the out of the ground for them, which is fantastic. So, no pump required, nothing. And that's huge, right? Oh, yeah. Because... Um, I forgot to mention that when I was doing the pump house, I actually measured out the, the well casing and measured out the static water level and everything else to figure out how much a hand pump backup supply would be. So I asked for a quote from a local hand pump guy, or well, local, he's in the States anyway, 5,000 US to get a uh, oh. hand pump uh, to get a hand pump that would actually go down to the static water level that I have is a $5,000 bill US. So by the time it's all said, then duty and taxes and everything else, you're talking close to $10,000 for a steel hand pump. I'm like, oh, Wow. So arte artesian well would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's also other, other ideas. So like if you're in Southern Alberta, a Creek, it doesn't have to be a big one, just a small one um, that allows water to not just flow in and out unlimited, but uh, the potential for micro hydro, micro hydro just can be as small as like, you know, four inches across, depending on what kind of output you want. Um, so that is an alternative means of power generation, maybe not winter in Southern Alberta, but this would be something. Um, in Saskatchewan, they have dugouts a lot on these farms, right? Like my grandpa's farm had a, uh, a man-made dugout where, you know, 50 years ago, they took the excavator and dug out as deep as they could. It uh, gives an option for fish, you know, raising fish. If you want to do the, uh, the the trout thing or any other fish types that you like, the, the tilapia some guys are trying. Um, a water source for aquaponics where you basically take the water out of the, the dugout, run it through your garden and run it back into the dugout cleaned up. Uh, so that's huge as well. Uh, backup water supply, though, whether it be a pool, uh, like one of the other panelists on C the OG CPP there got himself a house with a pool. It's still a backup water supply. It might not be the world's best water, but that's what Berkey's are for, right? So even if you're in the city, having a backup water supply in the form of a pool might help. Might. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to mention with the water thing too, so like at least here I've got an elevation change, so I've got a couple terraces basically on the property. So eventually the whole idea is to get a tank up top and then you know if you have a large enough tank that has a good supply of water coming into it not only will you have gravity fed water in case of a power outage but you could run a micro hydro system off that um it's you know it's kind of like a, a pre-charge of potential energy storage there so you've got water pressure you know for all all you need anyway so that is something to think about also with the uh, higher terrain not only do you have access to the gravity-fed water, but you have uh, antenna mounting options for those mm -hmm. ham radio operators. That's a good point. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, if you also have a hillside, you can also dig into it, providing it's not solid rock, and make that bunker happen a little more easily than trying to dig down and then bury it afterwards or something like that. You can just go straight into the hill. So, just a thought there. Uh, the other thing for the prairies, if you are in southern Alberta, a windmill. I mean, there's always wind, and you see the old pictures of, you know, 1960s Kansas. 
they've got the old wind wheel going. And that, well, basically, that was just like a slow trickle water pump that was constantly running every time the wind blew. And sometimes it just, you know, would spill off to the side and go right back into the ground. But at least it was like a constant pumping of water without having to do any sort of human input. So that's kind of huge. Um, a root cellar, if you can swing it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, why not for, for vegetable storage over the winter time? And the last thing I was going to mention was the uh, water storage tank. So if you get a tank up high with the, you know, um, the elevation change, or even if you just have a, a flat lot, just have a cistern either underneath the house or, uh, I was going to say there, like just on the side of the hill or whatever, just to store that rainwater would be fantastic. I like it. Yeah, that's all I had. All right, so, uh, so my bug out location idea similar to Jeff and, and Ian's. Um, actually, I'm, I'm just going to Jeff's and stealing all of his stuff. <laughs> just fair enough. Because, just because that's what he said he was going to do to me a couple episodes ago. So Fair, yeah. fair enough, yeah. 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 Fair but, enough. But I'm definitely thinking wooded lot, stream or a lake for, for water source and something just a little bit further away from from everybody. But the wooded lot idea I, I quite like because gives you privacy and gives you firewood. Although I tell you to have a... a a place that's already pre-cleared for a house and graded and excavated mm -hmm. and stuff, that's a huge outlay of money that's already taken care of. And if you are buying True, an empty yeah. lot, if you are buying an empty lot, you want that power to the property line, well pre-dug and septic system in place, because that's like a hundred thousand bucks almost right there. So True. Yeah, there's a lot of value out of stuff if it's partially developed for you, but if it's just like bare naked land, that's a lot of work and a lot of money. So Bring you also get to make all the choices, fast. all the decisions, and you get the land the cheapest. That's true. So it depends on what your situation is. What'd you say, Andrew? Uh, just bringing in utilities gets expensive fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Five, would you like, power? Would would you like to pay $10,000 a foot? Uh, no. No, I would not. <laughs> yeah, like I guess the original owner, when she built this property, she had to bring in six power poles and two transformers. I can only Yikes. imagine what she paid. So anyway. I'm uh, I'm going to diverge from the the, uh, the rest of the panel, I think, a little bit. I would actually like mostly cleared land. I'm not opposed to a wood lot. Actually, I really like a separate wood lot. Um, the Southern Ontario-style farm wood lot, where that's that's my piece of bush over there. Don't go trimming it. Fair enough. But having the rest of the property being cleared, um, two reasons. Really good arcs of fire and growing things, which doesn't interfere with my arcs of fire because I'd like to uh, have enough arable land to grow enough things to then turn into alcohol that I can drink, hops, barley, wheat, etc. All, all of the important staples in the alcohol making process because it's the end of the world. I may as well enjoy myself. And if there's, tree, or if there's deer hanging out in that, that boundary layer next to your untrimmed bush, uh, the overlapping fields of fire actually make for efficient hunting too. Well, that would that would be ideal, and all of the aforementioned items about having the trees on the property, the availability of for firewood, the boundaries with animals. The there are a bunch of advantages to that, but I would like to have a a good amount of cleared land. And when we're talking about a million dollars or a couple million dollars, I don't think I'm getting a terribly large acreage, like a couple acres, not a couple hundred acres. So. In my mind, like a couple of acres does not get me, well, any large stock. I maybe get some small animals and a really big garden. But that, like, an acre garden does not go that far. 
So give me more cleared land for agricultural purposes and uh, give me really good arcs of fire because I want to be able to stand on the top of my buildings, especially if I had a silo for some reason uh, where I could survey everything the light touches. That would be mine. And ham radio antennas too, of course. Well, I mean, sure, a ham radio antenna, but like if it's within a thousand meters, I own it. I don't have to have paid for it, but if it's in a thousand meters, it's mine. (laughs) (laughs) The the ham radio antenna also doubles as a uh, tactical communications uh, hub. So just saying. No, I'm not super on board getting your getting your silo up for a variety of reasons. I mean, they're a great place to mount your your satellite communication dish too for your your internet access. Because, I mean, I think Eric already mentioned that Pornhub is essential. A hundred percent, it is. Yeah. So it's morale boosting. Got to make sure you have the uh, the high speed internet. So yeah. get the get the good as arcs of fire, and uh, I would want some very controlled access to my piece of property, which I'd be able to find on a topple map. Uh, ideally, if I had ditches, uh, you know, like the agricultural style ditches with running water in them, that's great. Or if we had some kind of controlled stream, because vehicles and people don't like to go across water, that would be great because that means I have one or two or three choke points where everything has to funnel through, and bearing in mind my very good arcs of fire and elevated position for observing my property. It would, uh, it would allow me to make sure that things that shouldn't be on my property stay not on my property. It's pesky coyotes. Yep. Well, I think a moat really needs to be part of this discussion. I'm, I'm not saying it has to be a moat. I mean, I would literally ditches streams. I, uh, um, yeah. Treed perimeter is fine, but it's hard to see through trees. If I get up high enough and there's nothing on the other side of the tree, like I can work with that. But if you can't see through it, they can't see through it. So there's no there's no advantage for me having a lot of tall trees surrounding my property because it just interrupts my sight lines. So the only the only exception to that would be if I had well controlled access points across running water and drones. Well, yes. and drones would be yep. ideal. <laughs> ground, ground um, actually, well, and Southern Alberta has uh, the, you know those basic irrigation ditches all over the place that do block off and, and kind of delineated a lot of pro- properties so that would actually well, and th- something like that would be would be fantastic to keep things nicely separated and give you that controlled access um, ideally if the the property that I'm looking at could be on the end of a single access road because uh, I, I found one of those when I was looking on realtor the other day to see what two million dollars would get me in Alberta I have to prepare for this conversation so I found a lake on one side and a a kilometer of gravel road on the other side and then paved road and then 30 kilometers to a small town. I'm like, that is a great spot. Elevated property on a lake with one access road and there were irrigation ditches running down the side of the gravel road. I'm like, well, I can see all the way to the pavement road from the top of the house. So that would be just fine with me. Yep. That that sounds good. I do like it. Yeah. All right, so we all seem to agree that in terms of building features, we're going to need a moat. Uh, <laughs> a landing moat pad. Helicopter landing pad, obviously. With lots uh, of room because Alvin can't fly. <laughs> sorry, a soft, large <laughs> helicopter landing pad for Alan. Just like, just like, just like eight, eight inches of tall grass would be perfect. Just give me a little bit of, just give me a little, a little place to balance. It'll be fine. <laughs> All right, so we'll have two feet of soft sand like at the end of a runway. Uh, uh, what are some of the other building features you guys are going to recommend our, our listener uh, consider for, for their their ideal doomstead with all this Bitcoin wealth? 
So I kind of have the opinion um, only as big as you need it um, so you're not attracting attention. Uh, would be really nice wherever you're built if it's not on rock to have a basement. Obviously, uh, basements are great for things like you could have a cold storage room, a safety slash storm shelter slash whatever room, and nothing stopping you from taking an attempt to maybe build a small Faraday cage room that you can put stuff in in your basement. Um, for safety, uh, things like, you know, steel reinforced doors and that type of coating they put on glass and uh, steel roof, no maintenance, good for 50 years. Um, there's probably a few other things other other panelists have, but uh, that's that's kind of what I've got for now. Cool. Uh, I have a steel roof for the same reason, however, not so much for no maintenance, although that is nice. Uh, mine was actually for more durability, meaning like if somebody loves a Molotov cocktail on your roof, it's harder for the shingles to catch fire when it's solid steel. So... <laughs> And forest fire and everything else. So, I mean, like, obviously, if like, there's some ash or whatever coming in, your roof's less likely to catch fire if it's uh, made out of steel versus asphalt singles, right? Because it's not a petroleum product, basically. Um, same thing with the sides of the house. I'd rather have river rock, you know, the nice fancy river rock facing on the, the house versus, uh, you know, uh, again, plastic in the form of, like, you know, plastic siding. Uh, or stucco. Depends on what you want to do, but that's basically just glorified concrete. So some sort of fire retardant walls is what I'm after more than anything else. Uh, isn't stucco, wasn't there a huge problem in BC with all the stucco construction, just having water issues? Uh, not that I know of. Okay. So stucco I, always makes me nervous because I feel like, yeah, it's, it's styrofoam with a, a thin veneer of concrete. It's like poking through meringue. Yeah, no, it depends on what it's made of. Like, there, there's a lot of concrete-based stucco. There's a lot of, like, uh, oh, they use all sorts of materials, but I think as long as it's something that's relatively fire retardant, I'm not saying, you know, creamed asbestos or anything else, but, like, <laughs> something that's going to be a little more resistant <laughs> to fire than plastic uh, siding. That's all I'm after. Um, are you guys familiar with ICF construction? Absolutely. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, so basically for the listeners, it's, I think, Lego blocks made out of styrofoam that basically helps you put the house together faster. And then once they're all together, you kind of pour concrete down through the hollow centers. And it basically makes almost like a concrete pillar reinforced styrofoam with an R value of about 60 on the walls. So energy well, efficiency. For, for comparison, um, a good R value out of fiberglass insulation is 24. Yeah, so it's, it's mm -hmm. almost like a super insulated house, for lack of a better term. Relatively easy to construct. Uh, however, you know, it works out to what, like 12-inch thick walls by the time they put in the insulation and the concrete and everything else. Horrendously expensive compared just to wood frame. But you know, if you're trying to heat your house with a wood stove, it's a heck of a lot easier to do it with ICF than anything else. Um, the upfront cost is higher. Long-term payout is definitely there. So if you have the chance to do it, Insulated concrete forms is uh, definitely the way to go. Uh, that would be my ideal doomstead. Uh, behind the rock wall and the steel roof and everything else. Uh, Alan could probably go into more depth on the steel reinforced locks and everything else. But the 3M security film, which I learned from Alan, uh, I mentioned that to put on the windows because it, it won't stop bullets, but it'll stop uh, a baseball bat for at least a couple minutes. It will, it will make most things bounce. Um, it can also do excellent things for preventing the casual looky-loo from seeing inside. Um, it'll also do great things for blocking UV rays and things like that, so it will help 
moderate temperature inside your house. Uh, 3M security film and 3M is one brand. There are a few other brands out there, so we're not we're not loyal to to the 3M brand. They don't sponsor this. This isn't a, a promotion in any way. Um, it's just probably the most common one. Um, some of those security films can get up to three eighths of an inch thick. Uh, they get they get applied. Um, they're adhe- they're adhered to the glass usually on the inside and the outside. Uh, if you want to go really fancy, and then applied with a uh, a structural um, caulking to anchor it to the to the frame, and you can wail on that all day with a sledgehammer, and it's not going anywhere. So it's uh, they're they're fantastic. But I watched the uh, the film on the 3M website about that stuff because I was actually kind of curious. And the first thing they do is they take out. I, I think it was down the states that must have been, I guess, but they brought out an AR and they actually <laughs> took an AR-15 and shot through the windows with the security film on. They're like, see, it won't stop bullets. I'm like. Good to know. Um, but then they took a baseball bat to the, the next window beside it, and they just couldn't do it. And uh, it, it must take them, I think they did a time lapse. It was five minutes plus to get through the, the, the window, uh, just banging the crap out of the sledgehammers and everything else. So it was pretty good. Uh, it smells good. terrible when it goes on, just for yeah. reference. The adhesive on it is just, it's nasty stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the consequence is that you've got windows that will... Um, delay an attacker long enough for you to know that they're there and um, pour hot oil on their heads. Yeah, medieval style. <laughs> well, it takes a minute to warm the oil up, so yeah. it's good to yeah. have the yeah. time to prepare. Yeah. yeah, it's good to have the warning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, concrete foundation. This has been a sticking point whenever you're looking for a property, uh, especially in Alberta. Uh, there's a lot of people that use wood foundations. Now, not are they time-limited, um, and the reason people use them is because they were cheaper and they were supposedly warmer feeling, but then they get all moldy and gross after about 50 years to, to 80 years. And some of them are coming due now that were built, you know, 40, 50 years ago now. And now you have to lift up the house to replace the whole wood foundation, which is stupid. So if you have a house that's already pre-built, concrete foundation uh, would be great with a storm shelter built in. Like uh, I think Jeff mentioned there, like uh, you can call it a panic room, storm shelter, bomb shelter, whatever you want to call it. Some sort of a reinforced room would be great. Um, I'm still mad about this since it's, it's only 100 episodes ago, but when Eric, uh, French Eric came on there and talked about his house in, in rural Quebec there and he had the hand-powered water pump in the basement of his house. Yep. I'm, yeah, still jealous. That's, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think about that on, on a pretty regular basis. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, having a water supply in the basement that's hand-powered and doesn't require electricity, fantastic. Um that would be the ideal. Um, oh, yeah. LED lighting throughout the house, especially on your backup circuits versus incandescence or compact fluorescence, because you know why not lower your power requirements to run your generators slower or at a lower power level, and or you know I guess you'd have to have some incandescent backups in case of an EMP, I suppose. But for now, LED lighting is great for a backup supply or solar power. Um, yeah. Amazing how many people are still running halogen lights, which blows my mind. At like. 80 watts a piece and there's like a string of eight of them in their kitchen or whatever <laughs> but whatever teach their own yep. um, motion activated outdoor lights kind of be annoying if you have coyotes or raccoons or whatever but generally if you kind of get it set right they won't go off too often um, I don't know much about it but like a, you know kind of a closed caption or closed circuit television um, but infrared to kind of detect mm-hmm. stuff uh, I don't know if uh, that's an easy as set up as I would think, but absolutely, yeah, it's something I'd like to have. Literally, but. just buy a camera. Yep. Yeah, the te- the technology's come so far in the last decade. It's uh, it, it's you can almost see better at night than in the day. You get better contrast. Well, it's well, also interesting because 
they make infrared spotlights. Yeah, I was just so going to say. Yep. Well, yeah, for, especially for like the rifle scopes, like the uh, AT and X sights or whatever, they have the IR, you know, flashlights that you can like augment the vision with. And I was kind of wondering about that because, like, you know, you see the Costco sets there, like uh, IR CCTVs. But you kind of wonder if it's like the the, the FRS radios. They're like sixty kilometer range. It's like, well, how good is it really? Like, <laughs> like I don't know how good those things are. Does anybody have like uh, infrared experience, like using these things at all? Or the the Costco yeah, ones are actually pretty good. Yeah, I've done some security systems for people, and the most of the Chinese cameras they all come from the same couple of factories. They're all just relabeled, so it doesn't really matter what brand it is. It's unpronounceable. They're all pretty decent uh, the the better the better ones are going to be more expensive and some of the like the higher name brands like uh, Foos and some of the other brands are going to be a, like a better camera I haven't looked at the Costco one specifically but I used to do low voltage stuff and part of that was security systems yeah that's true uh, Alberton brings up a couple of good points there before I mentioned Brick is also good I suppose yeah we should mention that uh, for the outside of the house, but also if money was no object, why would you even have a window large enough for a person to go through on the ground level? Fair enough. So, you yeah. know, maybe if you take over a house that's already pre-built, you might not have a choice. Like there are some ICF houses out in Alberta that you might want to buy. Um, sleeping quarters and egress size windows on the second floor only. Fair enough. But then they're just going to put a ladder up medieval style and try and storm up the ladder. And then you have to start like pouring oil again. I'm I'm less concerned about somebody coming in the window than I am concerned about somebody breaking the window and throwing stuff in. Um, so either way, I'm either dealing with all artificial lighting, which is not a way, great way to exist in my opinion, or I have to protect my windows somehow. Yeah. Uh, last couple things I want to mention: uh, wood stove. Obviously, if you don't, if you if you're worried about a doomsday and don't have a wood stove in your property, there's probably some issues going on there. <laughs> just no reason not to have one at this, this this point. Um, preferably, I guess, in order to not have to run them off the generator, I'd rather have a propane hot water on demand and a propane stove versus the 220-volt systems that are much harder to try and power up off a generator. So mostly just for generate backup generation issues, I'd rather be on propane, and propane does last forever. Get a big pig out the back, uh, big pig tank off the back of your house, you're, you're fine, as long as somebody doesn't like put a hole in it, and you're good to go. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention of my ideal doomstead, nice big garage door, like the oversized garage door for the everything from an RV down and a heated garage that you can actually work on it in wintertime if you have, uh, you know, Ontario winters and stuff like that, that, you know, rather than working on something outside if you didn't have to, less exposure to bad guys, uh, easier to work on stuff, you know, kind of protect your what's yours, uh, just have a nice oversized garage. I like it. Was it? All right, so my uh, my list is pretty similar. Um, solar power setup, um, maybe backup wind or water generation, depending on what you got on your property. Um, you know, the idea there is just to be as quiet as possible. You don't want to be attracting uh, attracting any anybody that uh, can possibly hear like a gasoline type power generator. Uh, uh, let's um, build a house. You know size uh, enough that uh, your family can come with you if you want them to. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, it depends on the day. Um, and then uh, maybe a couple extra rooms just in case you get the odd tag along because, let's be honest, it's probably going to happen. <laughs> Jeff, I'm landing my helicopter on your roof. You're going to need a roof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll hear him coming. Yeah, uh, true, true. Good point with the power setup because, I mean, yeah, like the generator does make noise. I was even surprised, like solar power systems, they still have buzzing with the inverters yep. and the, the charge controllers. There is some 
a smaller amount of noise. And same thing with the wind turbines. I mean, you can hear those wind turbines clacking away, the smaller version ones, like from at least a mile away. So yeah, yeah, yeah. noise is still an issue no matter what system you choose, right? Yep. Um, what else? Secure doors. Uh, obviously suggested, supplied, and installed by Alan with his fancy helicopter. And uh, wood stove has already been said. I think that's pretty much a given. Propane tank, again, kind of a given. Uh, secure firearm room for reasons, such as hunting. And if you decide that you're going to build a vault in your basement, which is probably a pretty good idea for your firearms, that will also make an excellent Faraday box because it's it metal on all sides and grounded. So Look at that. Two birds, one stone. Exactly. As long as you don't have an electronic lock that's you know EMP susceptible, make sure you yeah. have manual locks. Even Probably if you do, you can. There's, there's, they almost always have a battery back or a, a manual backup. That's good. Yeah. Then I mentioned a separate workshop, which has already been mentioned, and uh, I'd include some kind of uh, security system, gates at entry points, that kind of thing. So, and security cameras. PFO gates are kind of a thing too. Like if you have a nice, uh, you know. I guess intimidating looking gate that doesn't look fancy, but something that looks like it's not worth your while trying to, to, you know, breach it. That at least is going to either deter them or slow them down enough. That you'll hear them coming, but also where the, having the trees on your perimeter is nice. Cause if you really had to, I suppose you could just chance that one over and knock it across the road and again, slow them down yep. for a few more minutes. Yeah, that works. So do Claymore's. That's what I Claymore's <laughs> work too. If you have access to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your vehicle's so not going anywhere for Alan a while. Contact me off air and talk to me more about this. Yeah, <laughs> I have I have no direct knowledge of such things. I'm making this up as I go along. But I'm just saying, maybe we should just go on Wish.com and get some Claymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there will. I know no where problem. we can get ball bearings in bulk. I'm not sure where we can get the C4. You don't get C4. You make C4. Oh. Shit. Now we're definitely off air, off YouTube. It's like goodbye, YouTube. It's been great. 122 episodes. <laughs> so find us next week on Discord. I, uh, I would like to know more about these claymores because this plays into my security planning. But uh, I don't think I have anything super exciting that hasn't already been touched on. Again, trying to keep this sort of budget friendly ish. Uh, you know, million ish dollars is. I'm looking at a pretty average family home nothing too bougie i don't think but i'm probably going to go through and do all of the standard security upgrade stuff that's been mentioned doors windows making those windows difficult to access through my immense knowledge of landscape design you put the thorny bushes under the ground floor windows and it keeps people away from them it doesn't are nice for your wife which also could double uh, as like blackberry bushes because they have nice big thorns on them, but also provide food. So why not? Gooseberry, gooseberry thorns, absolutely yeah. brutal. Right. So get some landscape design going on there. Keep people away from those windows. Hopefully, they don't have to test the security film. Uh, wood stove, and I would still go with natural gas heating if it were available because natural gas is cheap and plentiful. So if I can get it, I would like to take advantage of that. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Or at least long, if you had uh, yeah, south-facing windows and you could just go with passive heating for the most part in southern Alberta. Yeah, but that doesn't run my grill. It, that's This is the the heating the grill and the water and the other things and running my trifuel generator uh, would be all terribly convenient were I to have natural gas. Natural. How long will natural gas service run in the event that society is falling apart? Well, I mean, there's I'm, just... 
there's accumulators that basically have like a pre-charge on them and you know distributed locally but they you know if everybody's using a backup generator obviously it's gonna not last as long but there's not a high pressure line to begin with no so, i think it's only like 15 psi well it's, it's inches of water column they mentioned it but yeah like it's 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 low anyway so i would guess that like, you might have a couple weeks tops but then you gotta worry uh, yeah, about i it. wouldn't bet on it for being more than a week that'd be yeah but the other thing too is like if you're in a in a I guess a doomsday for lack of a better term, you're not going to have natural gas lines to that property better than even chance because it's just too far out of town to make it financially viable for the gas company. So that's where the propane comes in. You just get the big, you know, hundred you know, a thousand pound tank out back that just gets topped off or do a pair of tanks or whatever, because the lines probably aren't going to reach where you want to have a, uh, a retreat. But if it's available, it's an excellent option. Oh yeah, no, if yeah. it's available, but yeah. not all the time for sure. No, certainly not. And you're Southern Ontario, you're going to be able to find that. That's not a problem. I know there are other places in the country where it becomes very, very difficult. If I can get it, it's going to be cheap and plentiful. If I can't, yeah, propane's a great choice. Yeah, like there's no natural gas lines around here. I think the nearest one is uh, about 10 miles away. So, yeah, so that's not going to work for you, but no. I'm, so I, I, am I, literally, I literally live on the property or on the. The, the township line of the city of uh, city of Aurelia and the township, and um, so I mean I can walk and I'm in the city limits in thirty seconds and I don't have gas. Yeah. Oh, that's not fun. No. Oh, and yeah. There, there's, there's, there's concessions around here that have gas and some that don't, and it depends on which side of the line you're on and which it side. It just of, depends, and that's the which thing. Side so of the if I can get it, yeah. If you can, mm-hmm. great. And if not, then propane um, becomes the next best option. They, they, a good choice. they were adding gas service uh, up near us, and the cost for the hookup was, r- it's really quite expensive, and then the, the sort of cost per cubic meter is very high compared to, well, you're paying for this infrastructure over the next 20 years, so uh, it's it's expensive. Well, the funny thing is, there's lots of parts in, like, again, in Alberta, where they have, like, the equivalent of an artesian well in natural gas. It's, like, naturally pressurized to the surface, um, and that's great. But, of course, the gas company currently will not allow you to access them. But if you could figure out a way to access them if things went sideways and just take a little tap off of it, that'd be fantastic. But, uh, yeah, no, it's not something you can normally do. probably closer to the doom side of the doomstead than not. Yeah. Uh, I, I am probably going to put in a whole. Sorry, go ahead, Alan. I was just gonna say when you're real quick when you're looking at doors, um, skip the residential doors, go for the commercial ones. Um, look for something that's labeled hollow metal, uh, sixteen or fourteen gauge steel, steel reinforced uh, channels inside. Uh, you can still get those insulated with um, uh, polyethylene, which will give you a, like an R18 value. Um, some heavy-duty deadbolts, put it in a hollow metal frame, and continuous hinges. And that'll be your best bet for making your door secure as humanly possible. Oh, a couple of important ones here. Uh, Brad uh, mentions the fact that uh, you want to have a tunnel from the house to the workshop, or attached, or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. but definitely some sort of secondary egress. Same thing if you're going to have an underground uh, panic room, you want to have like a rabbit hole secondary exit out of that one room. You don't want to have just one exit or one entrance to it. But more importantly, uh, the Alberta mentions... Um, he designs gas compression equipment. Everything is now run by SCADA type systems, which I may have to get an explanation yeah. on that one. But basically, he says uh, no internet. Ski- Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no internet means no power, which means no gas. Uh, so, yeah, if you don't have internet or power, you are not getting a gas supply. 
SCADA is a supervisory control and data acquisition system. It's what runs uh, modern industrial equipment. It's how you control factories. Oh, well, there you go. And he says, just like, I guess, uh, yeah, most systems are fail closed. So if the power goes down, the gas well is shut in automatically. So let's just not plan on natural gas. Well, then. Yeah. Well, there you go. I learned something. Well, it's not unusual, but... So it makes your student in preparedness. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, lights. Lots and lots and lots of lights. I think, Ian, you talked a bunch about the kinds of light you want. I want to talk about where I'm putting my lights. Everywhere. Lots of lights everywhere. On all my buildings. On all my entrances. Big floodlights in anywhere that there's going to be avenues of ingress or egress to the property or to those buildings. And perimeter lighting. And I want to be able to control all of these lights individually because I want to be able to light up specific fields of fire so when I'm standing on top of my silo, I can see who's driving up the laneway or not. It's be like tactical whack-a-mole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not unlike, yeah. I would like to be able to specifically see people where they are on the property and have them not be able to see in. It's really hard to see anything behind a bright light, and I would like to be behind the bright light. Yep. Don't go to the light. No, Got don't, it. Don't do that. I, well, in a similar vein. Sorry, go ahead. Also easy to gauge intentions, too. So if you have a bright light that you can turn on remotely and it's shining from, like, way over there and it's shining mm-hmm. onto the people and they, they take pot shots of the light, you know their intentions right off the bat. That's well, and this is, this is why I want different lights at different places pointed at different places. Like, I'd like to be able to have floodlights to light up any sort of avenues of ingress or egress but i'd also like to have perimeter lights so that i can see them but they can't necessarily see in past my perimeter lighting and i don't care if i upset the local coyote population with my motion activated floodlights i just if it's bright like daytime it means that they're tag legal right like i can it, it's daytime so i can shoot them i don't think it's the end of the world so you don't care yeah exactly i was gonna say at certain points i think it becomes kind of moot but uh well Oh, carrying on with you. I'm betting on tomorrow before I'm betting on the end of the world, but what's the Albertan got to say? Uh, He says, I've not seen a pneumatic compression system unit in close to 15 years. They're being replaced at the end of the life cycle. So, yeah, it's definitely turning into an Albertan or uh, internet dependent system for the gas. That's upsetting. That is upsetting. Non air gap SCADA systems worry me. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Oh, uh, air gap systems. That's a good segue good as any um, yep. i'm going to wire all this all with low voltage all power over ethernet everything so i'm getting ian's fancy ir chinese cameras and putting them in lots of places trees gates fence lines mm-hmm. the front door the back door the bedroom windows all of the all the places that i want to see so i can see it off of any of my tablets phones tvs etc because um, I'm doing the whole doomstead Wi-Fi because I'm betting tomorrow happens and I have to take a conference call at work before the end of the world happens and I have to worry what to do with no natural gas. It's good so, yeah. <laughs> putting myself in a Putting myself in a fair-sized comms rack somewhere and running power over Ethernet to all the things I so like that it. I can like turn my perimeter lights on and off from my tablet. I like and, it. Uh, I have much bigger aspirations for my garage than I do for my house because the garage shall be my domain where the house shall be my wife's going 48 by 48 clear span with a big sub and climate control. That's all I care about. Just give me a big open workspace. 
Heck of a man cave. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is with the uh, the garages set up the way they are, especially in colder climates, if you put like a space heater in the top corner that, you know, that blows, it just keeps the hot air up high. Whereas if you do a radiant floor heating, it actually keeps the vehicles a little bit warmer to easier to work on. And you don't lose as much heat as fast hmm. if, you have the, if you have the thermal mass set up in the floor. So if you're, yeah, you're going to have way nice, more efficient as well. Yeah. So a big, massive uh, radiant floor heating system for the shop would be, I think, probably a good way to go as well. I'm I'm doing that in my garage. I'm actually laying the laying the piping this week. It's uh, um, it's quite the setup, but once it's done, it's phenomenal. And like I said, dirt dirt cheap to run by comparison. So I think that that more or less rounds out my million dollars of spending. <laughs> Buy a house, make it secure, <laughs> and then and then sell the shop. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, not that I disagree with anything you've said, Andrew, but Chris. Uh, Chris in the, the live chat there kind of touched on it as well. He says, too much resilience on the tech. Risks still exist on closed systems. So you can't, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're that far into the doomstead, that that's the thing, probably a lot of the tech stuff you've got isn't going to work anymore. That's yeah, just sort of uh, like yeah. I say, I'm betting on tomorrow I have a conference call at work and I want to be able to take that on my back deck or sitting in my workshop rather than worrying about the, uh, the marauders coming up the driveway and, what caliber I have available to deal with that problem. Fair enough. Yep. So hopefully we still have some budget left over. Uh, what are some of the resources we're going to want to add to our phenomenal buildings with moats and or helicopter landing pads and or CO detectors? <laughs> Big ass uh, helicopters. What, <laughs> mm-hmm. what, um, what resources do you want to add to these, uh, these doomsteads? We're, we're recommending our, our listener build for us. I mean, for them. <laughs> well, I, I guess my, my thing probably should have gone in the last item, but um, I would be off-grid, totally off-grid. Uh, solar and propane, uh, I mean, at, I think at a, a certain point, the roving packs are going to figure out that if they follow hydro lines, they're eventually going to take them to a building. So if there's no hydro going into your, uh, your doomstead and you're back far enough off the road and you're not visible chances of them want wanting to wander through the bush i think are slim could still happen you you could end up with a problem but um i I think your your chances are slimmer um again definitely um wood heating a stove or even a boiler ian mentioned it um the radiant in floor heating it's a great thing i at some point hope to put that actually in my house um and uh all all appliances are propane for um you know, a propane fridge, stove, um, and have a propane heater for backup for heating. Um, something that doesn't need electricity to actually light, like it doesn't need a pilot, you need a match, you light it off you go, so. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, kind of a similar vein, but uh, for different reasons. I like a manual electric shutoff from the grid. Uh, not so much if you want to go off-grid per se, but say like, you know something's inbound, like a Carrington event or whatever, you still want to maintain what you have and maybe try to minimize the electrical antenna length of your, your electrical system. If you're able to isolate that from the grid, it'd probably be a little less damage coming your way. Um, so plus you could also manually switch over to your old off grid system as well, uh, but use hydropower, which might be cheaper, might be, uh, and just being able to choose between the two would be nice. And then, uh, if you're setting up a house, make sure you have a wiring design that basically will allow you to like, you know, maybe turn off certain breakers, leave certain ones running, 
so you can have a, a manageable circuit breaker load set up for your generator because um, sometimes that requires a whole lot of reorg on your house. Uh, but if you can do it ahead of time, that'd be fantastic. And since we're in fantasy mode um, and we're in southern Alberta by the sounds of it, I would and we have flat land clearly then, I would like to have an airport for reasons. Fair enough. Because it also doubles as a helicopter. Shoot- well, yep. it doubles as a shooting range for practice. You got to maintain competency. It's a perishable skill, but also for airplanes. Because why not? Yeah, makes sense. Can't All use right. it if you don't have it. Yep. That's right. So I've uh, I've just added a couple of play toys to my list here. So uh, a little puddle jumper boat and an ATV to pull it. Because why not? Yeah, it's about. I, I think I've I think I've beaten my helicopter plane to death. Um, I think so. A- extra carbon monoxide detectors just to be just to be safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, power it's, it's a barter item. Can, yes, can, P- yeah, P- PoE remote remote activate remote yeah, uh, yes. alerting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about a flamethrower for the uh, helicopter? <laughs> oh, I was going to put a mod deuce in it. There you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. It needs to be an Alouette three, and it needs to be a pair of them, though, because then we can call it a K car and we're brush stroke. Done. <laughs> I mean, why don't we just get a warthog while we're at it? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, now that we're we're filling your uh, helicopter up with all the fun stuff, shall we move into the podcast challenge? If your current location is missing some of your ideal traits, what's the number one shortfall? Do something to overcome that. That is our. That is our our podcast challenge. And if you complete the podcast challenge, tell us in as much or as little detail as you like. And we would love to hear about it. And we would love to talk about that on an upcoming episode. Awesome. Uh, upcoming events. We of course still have the website in for the Maple Seed events. I don't know what's going on in Ontario there, but uh, you guys, I know you guys are, the ranges are opening up. So I guess the neither Maple does Ontario. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andrew, are you running any courses anytime soon for upcoming events? Muted, Andrew. Maybe I won't be making that conference call at work tomorrow. <laughs> uh, no, no training for me. But if you do want to come shoot local matches, Guelph Rod and Gun Club, I'm putting on a bunch of pistol shooting events over the summer. Come hang out; it's a good time. Meet other like-minded people who you happen to know have been vetted by the government. Read into that as much as you want, and own firearms. All right. Fair enough. Cool. Deal of the week. So Cabela's has the uh, Goal Zero Nomad uh, 14 plus solar panel on sale right now. Regular, uh, regularly, it's uh, $219.99 on sale right now for a $159.97. So if you're looking for a solar panel. I buy my solar panels from Rapid Survival and they're far superior by, by default. Uh, I'll agree with you because, yeah. Alan wants something. (laughs) (laughs) I always want something. His helicopter, clearly. (laughs) I want a landing pad is what I want. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move in the shout-outs. So we've got uh, listener Darren G. He's completed a whole pile of podcast challenges. It's almost like he's going through the... uh, all the, the previous episodes and doing all the challenges. So appreciate you sending the emails in and showing us what you've been up to. Yeah. I feel bad. I didn't actually respond to him for every single one, but I was like, I saw like the, the multiple inbox emails yeah. there. I was like, Oh my Lord. He, yeah. He's literally cracked off at least almost a dozen podcast challenges yep. and with proof. He yep. sent us proof that he's he uh, did. 
And for OPSEC, we won't tell which ones, but he's definitely been, you know, cranking off those podcast challenges. So good for him. Uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, we yeah. like to see the feedback and then see it's making a difference. So that's, that's fantastic. And as far as my shout outs go, I have one for a uh, new listener, Dennis, who I did a CGN deal with this week and, uh, yeah, enjoy your new stuff. And, uh, yeah, keep listening. He uh, he noticed my Faraday cage sign off on my email, so we got talking. Nice. So, <laughs> anyway. Hey, anybody else on the panel with shoutouts? Going once, going twice. Nah, I don't like right. people that much. I think they're as much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, email and iTunes reviews. All right, we got a few of them this week. So, first one comes from Spencer. Uh, just wanted to say, I love this show. Um, I like this more lighthearted and informative than a lot of the more fear-based prepper podcasts, which shall remain unnamed for here. Um, I also want to nitpick a comment at the 35-minute mark of the one second after episode that a rogue state could uh, use old Soviet-era nukes to set off an EMP to bring down a country's grit. Uh, the nukes from this era that could travel via missiles used a tritium-deuterium gas with... Uh, which fission and fusion will not happen. This gas has a half-life of 12.3 years, so any nukes from this era will not function anymore without getting uh, more of this gas, which is produced in nuclear reactors. Uh, the nukes that didn't need this gas were larger and delivery was via bombers that can't reach a high enough altitude for an EMP. Um, maybe a creative terrorist could find a workaround for these EMP roadblocks. Disclaimer, he's not a nuclear physicist. Thanks again for Spencer, Spencer in BC. Spencer, I think you're full of shit. <laughs> That's exactly what a nuclear physicist you hiding would say. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I think you are a, a physicist, yeah. aren't you? Um, you know, how can I argue that? I mean, like, okay, he's probably right. Like, I, um, yeah, so maybe the old bombs won't work, but I would, I would seriously think that if, if a rogue state wanted to pull off an EMP, they'd probably do at least a, a more research than we've done, and probably try and make sure they get it right the first time before they get turned into a parking lot afterwards. So I'm sure they'll find it as something that will work. I, I think I see what's happened in this disclaimer. Autocorrect added not. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. He's a nuclear <laughs> physicist. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I've, I've got one here from listener Kevin. Uh, it says, I just finished watching episode 119, the book club, one second after. A good episode, guys. As things progressed and the situation got worse, uh, food was, of course, the main concern. Uh, I kept thinking, what about eating earthworms and insects? Right? Uh, a quick search on the internet will reveal that earthworms are indeed a protein-packed food source. In addition to digging them up, uh, they can be farmed and in close quarter reproduce fairly quickly. Slimy, uh, that's satisfying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, farming them would be likely the best alternative. Uh, they do carry bacteria that needs to be cleansed through boiling before being prepared and eaten. Uh, it is said to be best to change their diet to plant-based for a few days before trying to consume them. Uh, that clears the gut of any soils. Uh, dehydrated and powdered, they can be used as an additive in foods to supplement their nutritional value for humans and animals. Uh, and then in capitals, uh, so he's yelling at us now, I have not eaten worms yet, but, and we're back to not yelling, if uh, things get really bad, I'll be the first to try. Fair enough. Yeah. You, you try that, let me know how it goes. Actually, the yeah. World Economic Forum uh, swears up and down we're all going to be eating bugs in 20 years because, you know, meat is bad. Mm, so. I don't like the idea of the impossible meat. I like the idea less of the impossible worm meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah. from Cr- a farming slash, is also phenomenal. But from a farming you. slash preparedness perspective, um, if you have scrap food that you're not going to eat and you have a spare bucket, punch a bunch of holes in the bucket, throw the meat inside, hang it from a tree above your chickens. Uh, when the maggots start being born, they'll fall out at the bottom of the bucket generally and give your chickens free protein so they can eat the bugs so you can eat them. So vicariously you can eat worms, but at least the chickens take care of it first. Hmm. All I heard is chickens, and I'm sold. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm down with that. Yeah, so like basically, if you want to have a protein source for your chickens that's free, yeah, use that idea, but they can eat the worms. I'd rather not. Yeah, Fil- filter it through another another mammal or another animal first. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, it's like cows filter my, my salads for me. Yep. Yeah, good point. Yep. And from listener... Um, Rabbi, I don't know how I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, and I apologize, uh, dear sirs. It was great. It was nice hearing your podcast number one thirteen about wilderness first aid. When you're talking about courses available online and ca- slash camping to get the needed training, I didn't really follow you. Can you recommend some online training due to COVID? You mentioned about a Zoom session, but I didn't find the link. I there. The one May fourth from seven to eight thirty to watch it online. Uh, any videos online training recommended other than this? Uh, welcoming free resources with kind regards. Um, there are millions upon millions of YouTube videos about wilderness first aid. Um, most are fairly reasonably accurate. Um, if you do a quick Google search um, for PDF of um, PDF of wilderness first aid manuals. There are about 4,000 of them that come up really quickly that you can download for free. And none of that will replace practical hands-on training. Um, all of those will give you a base of knowledge. So that's, that's my, those are my two cents. Um, uh, if you're on, uh, if you're on Instagram, there are a few, there are a few wilderness, um, wilderness first aid specialists out there that have pretty active content. Um, it really depends on what it is that you're looking for because there's a big difference between wilderness first aid and uh, there is no doctor and we have to do something about that. Yep. Um, and so those are, there, there are, there's a big gap there. So um, feel free to drop me an email, Alan at prepperpodcast.ca and um, let me know more specifically what it is that you're after. And I will, uh, I will gladly point you in the right direction for that. Before I move on, uh, we have a comment from Bane Ironhand. Uh, have we eaten the neighbors yet or the zombies? Uh, because worms aren't my first choice. <laughs> well, I mean, my neighbors are old enough that you'd have to pressure pressure cook them to soften them up a bit. The meat would be old, old stringy at this point. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll still probably have to go for the neighbors before the worms, maybe. I don't know. Can, can we do I, the same thing we were doing with the chickens? Get the neighbors to eat the worms? Maybe. Uh, yeah. Just thought. This got dark real quick. Yep. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not answer that because, uh, yeah, it's important uh, to figure geez. this out before the apocalypse. You gotta yeah. know where you stand. This is why we tabletop everything. Well, that's yeah. that's why I've already figured out which alpacas to eat first and everything else. But yeah, no, it's uh, neighbors are down the list. We down the list. Oh uh, man. Well, before we go further into that dark area and end up on the dark net, where we might actually end up next week anyways, because YouTube's kicking us off, <laughs> I think I'll bring episode 122 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. 
Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out, submit a review. It does help other people find us. Uh, we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube for now. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. It gives you an alert when we are going live. You can also do the same thing on Facebook, and I imagine it has a similar reaction. Uh, you can contact me directly, Alan, that's it, with one L, at prepperpodcast.ca. Usually, you would find me leading Canadian Patriot Podcast, the OGCPP, Monday nights, 9 p.m., mostly complaining about the government, but we've branched into new territory. We also do a book club, which I see was promptly added as an addition to this CPP. Yeah. Invitation is a sincere form of flattery. That's right. Mm -hmm. I believe we also asked your permission before we did that, didn't we? I think we did. I don't know. Whatever. It's cool. You guys do different books. You talk about prepping and I talk about how to win wars. Fair enough. <laughs> and if you want to reach me, I am grayed out. So I'm feedback at pepperpodcast.ca. We'll find uh, you, Jeff. <laughs> uh, as am I, I should add uh, on that email, there was a PS at the bottom I should have read. Apparently, uh, Andrew's incredibly handsome and should be on every episode. Who knew? Oh, look at that. Oh, well, there you go. That's going to be a hard pass for me. <laughs> and now we know who they were. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, for myself, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com and on Gab and Odyssey at the Island Retreat. Um, you can also find me tagging along with Andrew on Canadian Patriot Podcast. Uh, we're on iTunes and YouTube. We've also started our own little Discord group called Canadian Patriot Podcast. Um, so email us if you want an invite to that. Uh, getting more and more people on there every week, aren't we, Andrew? Yeah, I think 60, 70 now. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty good uh so there you can find us discussing why government waste on society has me fantasizing about doomsdads <laughs> uh, so please check out uh, rapid survival at rapidsurvival.com you can get me there on the live chat of course purchasing some prepper gear for your dream doomsdads uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca uh, thanks for joining us this evening until next time be prepared stay safe and keep learning <laughs>